it out of the way. Down there a bit. How's that? Is that clear enough? Lovely jubbly. Put that there for a minute. Easter. Ooh. What's Easter all about? Why are we here? Lots of people have got different notions, haven't they? Different understandings of Easter. Chocolate and bunnies and eggs and egg hunts. And, I don't know, Bond movies, are they on it? Are there any Bond movies on this weekend? I don't know. Might be. What's it all about? On um, Good Friday, two days ago, I was working in an ambulance shift once car, floating about the county as you do, and I listened to Radio 1. And Sarah Cox was asking people to message in with it's Good Friday because and all their reasons why it's a Good Friday. Huge amount, huge volume of messages came through. You could go on the internet and scroll through them later. It's Good Friday because I've got no school for a fortnight. It's Good Friday because I'm going on holiday with my friends to Devon in a minute. It's Good Friday because I passed my driving it's Good Friday because I'm having steak for tea. Nice, but I've scrolled through as many messages as until I got bored of it. I found one that said it's Good Friday because Jesus died for my sins. Good for them. But one. There's a reason why we celebrate something special this weekend. Historically, we've been a Christian country. We're not now. But there's a reason why this weekend is still celebrated and still has bank holidays. There's a reason why Friday is called Good Friday and it's, not, it's got nothing to do with steak for tea. Because as much as it was a horrendous moment in history 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ of Nazareth was crucified on that cross, he was dying for a good reason. You and me. Because of his love for us. And then we come to Easter Sunday. Something even greater to celebrate that is all wrapped up in the cross. He didn't stay there. We were watching a film with Amy called Rise of the Guardians during the week. It's a great little animation. The Easter Bunny and the Sandman and Santa Claus all clubbed together to save the world. It's brilliant. It's, brilliant. it's quite fun. I quite enjoyed it. Easter Bunny, he declares what Easter is all about. Easter's all about new beginnings. Easter's all about new life. It's about hope. Yeah, and he stopped there. He's heading in the right direction. It is about hope. But it's not about springtime and baby bunnies being born. It's not about new life as we see it simply in nature. It's new life with capital letters. We're all looking for life. We're all looking for a reason, aren't we? We all have life with little letters. We all exist. We are all being. You're thinking about this right now. So you're existing in some form. Whichever philosophy you want to go down, are we somebody else's dream, all that kind of stuff. You are existing right now. You have life. But there is also a greater life with capital letters. We're looking for something, aren't we? We're looking for more than mere existence. We all yearn for purpose and growth and vitality and joy and and identity and destiny. Who wants a bit of that? Yeah, hallelujah. Of course you do. 
But we all look in different places. Mankind, not just us in this room, mankind look in different places for that, for life in capital letters. Easter Sunday answers that question. So this morning, I'm going to be asking some questions. There's one particular question. and Later on, there'll be three other particular questions we all need to ask ourselves. This is all about questions, but Easter Sunday answers them. I will be giving evidence for the resurrection, but I don't want this to be a lecture. This isn't academia. This is life. I will, I will be looking at that later. But I want to ask questions, and I want you to ask these questions of yourself as well. Whether you're a believer, whether you're not. Would you like to turn to Luke chapter 24? I'm just going to read the first 12 verses of Luke 24. Just to paint the picture. Jesus' followers, known as his disciples, they're followers of Christ. They've been with him for the past three years. In various moments, some have joined later, some have joined straight early on. It's not just the 12, as we come to know them. There's many, many more that have followed him around at different stages. Some for a season, some not. They've all seen him in action. They've heard what he's said. They've seen him perform miracles. They've heard him declare great promises. They've heard him declare himself as God and as Messiah. They've gone, got it. You're the Messiah we've been waiting for. And then what's happened in the past week, past couple of days? He's been arrested. He's been put on trial. He's been tortured. He's been killed. Picture those disciples on Easter Saturday. What's happened? They've killed our God. Maybe he wasn't really. Maybe we missed the point. Maybe we misheard him. Where's life? We were looking for something and we thought we found it and now we're not so sure anymore. They're despondent. They're lost, they're hiding, they're in fear. Their great leader, their saviour has been killed. What's going to happen to them? Let's read from verse, first verse of chapter 24. On the first day of the week, so this is now Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone away from the tomb. This isn't a little boulder. This is a big old thing. Huge great lump of rock has been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still with you in Galilee, he'd even prophesied this. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified. He even knew how he was going to be killed, he'd even told him. And then what does he say? And on the third day, be raised again. They'd been told about this. Then they remembered his words. They've forgotten it all. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene. Joanna, 
Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe their women, the, the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to him. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you for this day when we can celebrate you. Not as just a great man, a great teacher, a great example, but as a victorious king who is no longer in that tomb. As we ask ourselves these questions this morning, may we be honest with ourselves. May you open our eyes to where maybe we're not being honest with ourselves and help us see that. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Help us grow where we need to grow. Help us to run to pursue you even more because of your beauty, your truth and your revelation. Help us this morning we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. There's that question. Verse 5. This just shot out to me like a big highlighter pen when I was reading it a few weeks ago and this is where I felt God wants us to look and linger for a while. Verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men, these are angels, said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? So we've all agreed... We all look for life, capital letters. We all look for meaning, for purpose, for destiny in this life. We're all trying to find it. Thank God I know some of us in this room, we have found it. <laughs> but so often we can end up looking for the living in the wrong place. Looking for living, looking for life in a graveyard. The question I want you to ask yourself this morning, where are you looking for life? Where are you looking for meaning? Where are you looking for purpose and identity security and hope where are you looking for life is it a dead end ultimately maybe it is and you don't realise it are you looking in a cemetery rather than where you should be looking so many things are based on man's wisdom so many things are based on philosophy Christianity is not a philosophy Christianity is based on a historical event that explodes everything See, we can, we can place our trust in, put faith, as it were, as a generic word to one side. We can place our trust in the secular. We can place our trust in money. We can place our trust or our sense of meaning or trying to make ourselves feel happy about life. We can place that in material goods. Does it ever satisfy? Of course it doesn't. Amy last week, she had money burning a hole in her pocket. She got given 20 quid for Easter instead of chocolate eggs. Not by us. That was on Thursday. Friday morning I'm at work on the car. I get a text from, Amy, uh, from Jenny. Can you pop to Argos on the way home? Amy spent her money. Burning a hole in her pocket. She had to spend it. So I go and pick up this. It's only about this big. 20 quid. It's a little furry thing called a Furby. It's, it's one of the mini ones. And it... Tall gook and laughs and giggles and closes its eyes and opens its eyes and you can get this free software for her iPad so she can communicate it with it with her iPad so she can send it food she can flick sheep at it so it counts them so it goes to sleep 
So I'll get in the door. Daddy, 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 can I have my Furby? Can you open it up? Can we download the software off the App Store so we can get it? And it's like, can I take my coat off? <laughs> so eventually, we, we get all rigged up. We get the software. And, okay, here we go. Calibrate it. Tell it what to do. So, hello. Try again. Hello, how are you? Miss Anana. Don't, don't know what it meant. It did this weird thing. So I flick it some food. So I flicked it a hamburger or something. Flick. Mmm. It's just like you have to wait about five seconds for it to make a response. And you can see the look on her face. She's thinking, this isn't quite what I've expected it to be. I've spent 20 quid on this. <laughs> it's just sitting on the sofa now. We buy stuff. We get all geared up. This is the thing I need. Adverts have told me. This is it. This is what will make me happy. Oh, okay, what's next? Holidays. We love holidays. It's great to have holidays. You get excited about them and hopefully you enjoy it while you're there. But you come back, you want another one. They're like Chinese takeaways, aren't they? They only last so long. They only fill you up for so long, don't they? It's true. You come back from holiday on the Sunday, on the Monday, you go, what, where are we going next? Work now. Things don't satisfy for very long. Stuff, stuff is great. Stuff is okay. But we can place our trust or looking for meaning or purpose, the reason for being here, in the wrong things. Enjoy it while it lasts. Well, yes, but that's the point. It doesn't last forever. People place their purpose in life is all about having fun, so they go and party. If they're honest with themselves, they're not satisfied. Wherever they look. You talk, you talk to people, you hear biographies of famous party animals, and they said they've never been satisfied. They've just got more and more into the drink and the alcohol or the sex or whatever it is. It's never satisfied. They just want more. Still looking for that meaning, that purpose, that life. Career. Keep seeking for purpose in your career. It gives you social status and standing. I'm a CEO of such and such. Does it satisfy? Ultimately, no. Some of these things are okay. They're not necessarily overtly good or overtly bad. Some things are neutral. But that doesn't mean that they're always good for you. Neutral things like television or family or money, in and of themselves, they're okay. We need money. Family is, is a good priority. It's something that God has ordained. But when it becomes your number one focus, if you wake up in the morning and it's all you think about, if it's all you're thinking about when you go to sleep at night, if it's consuming your thought life, Maybe it's become more than just neutral. And you're placing your trust in the wrong place. You're looking for the living among the dead. Does that make sense? We can place our trust or our looking for purpose in the past. I know people who are hampered by the past and they're still living there. Sometimes for good memories. Sometimes seemingly for good reasons. Sometimes for bad memories. Regrets. What if I hadn't done that? What if I'd said such and such? What if I'd married such and such instead? It's a dangerous lie, but we can live there. We can get stuck in the past. There is no future in the past. We forget that, but it's true. It sounds obvious when you say it out loud. There's no future in the past, but we can live there. And it holds you back. And sometimes people try and find life and purpose in what I used to do for a living. I felt meaning then. I don't now because I haven't got that job anymore. Your whole identity is bound up in what you used to do. Your whole identity can be bound up on what you do now. Ultimately, does it serve you? Does it satiate? Does it satisfy? Does it give you ultimate life? No. 
But then we can't, let's bring faith back into the picture. Faith in general. Spirituality. We can look for living in spirituality. There's more to life than what you see. Yes, absolutely. Where are you looking? I'm going to list every faith under the sun and pick them to pieces. There's no need. But understand, ask yourself, if you are looking for, for life in spirituality, in a faith in something, where are you looking? Where is the grounding? What is it built upon? Whose wisdom is it? So many faiths are built on one man's revelation. Who's he? As you look at the pattern, it's, it's quite common. One person built on a man or a woman. How about a faith that is built upon revelation through a huge number of people in different languages, across different continents, across millennia, that all say the same thing? Christianity. It's unique. I'll come on to that a bit more later. I'll just ask you, if you're looking for faith in New Age, in Buddhism, in Mormonism, in anything, even, ultimately, they're just sentimental quotes on Facebook. My timeline on Facebook is full of saying, follow your heart. I know what I'm like, and that my heart is probably the last thing I should be following. <laughs> it sounds nice on the surface. The only teacher can be your own soul. I don't trust my own. It's not the journey, it's the destination. It's all these kind of faithy, spiritually type quotes, aren't they? It's not the journey, it's the destination. Well, there is some truth in that. Enjoy what you're doing now. Don't just think about what's ahead. Enjoy the now, that's important. But some people elevate that into, it's not about what happens after you die, it's about the now. Enjoy the journey but not the destination. Well, I can have a beautiful drive through amazing countryside and still end up in Milton Keynes. <laughs> Sorry to anyone who lives in Milton Keynes. <laughs> but do you get my point? You might enjoy the journey now, but if you end up in the last place you'd ever want to be for eternity, maybe that was a mistake. Just be very careful of what you're basing your faith, your spirituality on. In fact, God actually refers to this in Isaiah chapter 44, Verse 20, he says to the prophet Isaiah, whatever you worship that isn't me, you are just feeding on ashes. That's what he says, feeding on ashes. You are eating dead stuff. You are looking for a living among the dead. It's exactly the same thing. What is the grounding for your faith? And then you can flip. Faith just is in a, a simply spiritual thing you can also take it into doing good stuff works earning your way to heaven everybody loves the idea of an afterlife where everybody's happy we're with all our loved ones all the people we miss and we got there by not murdering someone so so many people believe where's your evidence for that how do you know you know that because you persuaded yourself to believe it because it's what you want to believe it's not necessarily true which makes life harder and produces bigger questions, which isn't easy. But you have to face the fact, how do you know that? It's because it's what you want to know. It's a little insurance policy in your brain to make you feel comfortable, isn't it? Be very careful. Be very careful what your beliefs are founded on. Earning our way to heaven, you, can't, you are not good, ultimately. 
So you can't do ultimately good works to earn your place before God. That's the point. That's why Jesus came. He did that in our place. Isaiah chapter, Isaiah again, chapter 64, verse 6 says, All our righteous deeds are what? Filthy rags. In fact, the original language is vile. I won't say it. It's more than just filthy rags. They are detestable to God because they are tainted by our sinful hearts. Our motives for it are never perfect because I'm doing this to convince you I'm all right. I'm doing this to win you over. You can't do it because he's perfect and he sees through it. Where are you looking? Are you looking for the living among the dead or are you looking where you should be looking, where there is life? Are you still coming up empty? Have you found it yet? That's all very well and good, Steve, but isn't Christianity just another dead end? It's just the writings of a few blokes. It's just a bit of myth and legend all mixed up with other pagan stuff. That's what people believe. What makes it so different? As I've already said, Christianity is not based on a philosophy. It's not based on man's wisdom. And ultimately it's proved and based on a historical event nearly 2,000 years ago in the Middle East that sends a ripple of an earthquake across the rest of history in both directions. Splits it in two. So you can study scripture, scholars study scripture, and they don't believe in the resurrection. Archaeologists are still looking for Jesus' bones. <laughs> Ain't going to find them. People finger the Jesus on the cross around their neck, and yet they don't know him. Christianity is real, but you need to know where you're looking. You can even be looking for living among the dead in the wrong idea of Christianity. Even us as believers, we can still end up putting our faith in the wrong stuff. Got to be so careful. Where are you looking for life? Well, it always comes down to Jesus. It has to. It has to. There's three questions I want you to ask and answer. Three questions we will ask. Did Jesus really exist? Secondly, did Jesus really die? Thirdly, the cruncher. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Firstly, did Jesus actually exist? Even the most sceptical scholars agree he existed. The Bible itself, as a collection of writings from different people, is the most historical, is, is the most, sorry, is the most reliable historical document ever. If that's the first time you heard about it, look it up on Google. You look up the statistics. The closest is Homer's works to be the most reliable. And nobody questions whether it's his or not, or if what it says is in the original documents. People accept that. When it comes to the Bible, which is even more reliable, people don't want to know. It's because of what it says, not because of the figures. The figures are overwhelming. It is by a long, long, long shot the most reliable historical document in history. But even outside of the Bible, there are more non-Christian references to Jesus than there are to Caesar. Does anybody question if Caesar existed? Of course not. People question if Jesus existed because of what he said. Jesus existed. Okay. 
Jesus existed and he was sent to that cross. Well, if these Christians go on about him rising again, maybe he didn't actually die. He just looked like he did. Did Jesus actually die? Okay, it was him on that cross and he didn't actually die. He swooned. He fainted. Do you realise what crucifixion does to people? Hang in there for hours. It's not the pain or blood loss that kills you. It's asphyxiation. It crushes your lungs. I want to hold my arms up now and I can feel it. I'm trying to take a deep breath. Can't do it. Hang there for hours. Just hang on a pair of monkey bars for a minute. Try and take a deep breath. Imagine hanging on that cross for hours. You, you die from asphyxiation, unable to breathe. And the guards were experts at it. They'd been doing it for quite a while, a long time. They were the best at crucifying people. And they went around after many hours to check if people were dead. And if they weren't, they would break their legs. So they couldn't hold themselves up. Break their femurs, they drop. Speeds the process up. They made sure they were dead. And they came to Jesus. And they didn't break his legs because he was dead. They knew what they were looking for. And yet, just to make sure, they shoved a spear through his side. And the Bible explains... Blood and water came from, his, from the wound, from the chest. It's a bit of an odd detail. Blood and water. I'm a, param- a paramedic, I can give you the big words later. <laughs> Basically it means the pressure on the sac around his heart had been so much, it even separated into the plasma and the other blood elements. His blood and water came out separately. It was visibly different fluids came out. It proved he was dead. Jesus was dead. So it's not that he fainted, he actually died. But then some people go, ah, yeah, but there's the substitution theory. It wasn't him on the cross, it was someone else. I'm sure his friends would have noticed. I'm sure the authorities would have noticed. They went out of their way to kill him. If there was someone else on that cross, they'd have had words. It can't just be someone else in his place with a pair of funny glasses and a fake nose and a moustache. It's just I. But then others go, well, God actually moulded his face in a spiritual, supernatural disguise to look like Jesus. If God can do that, he can raise him from the dead. I'm sorry. (laughs) Stop making things up. Just accept it. It's a lot easier. Did Jesus die on the cross? I contend yes. Jesus of Nazareth, man of history, existed and died on a cross. Here we go then. Did he rise from the dead? There are lots of arguments against what happened to the body. And none of them work. Some people go, ah, you see, the authorities stole the body. They hid it. Why would they do that? They tried to kill him. Why were they trying to make out that he rose again from the dead? doesn't make any sense. And if just a few weeks later, when thousands of believers in Jerusalem became believers, thousands of people, the authorities could have gone, he's not risen from the dead, here's the body, wheeled it in. Of course they could. Authorities didn't steal the body, it makes no sense whatsoever. So then other people go, ah, it wasn't the authorities. The disciples stole the body. Ah, yes, this argument makes sense. The disciples stole the body and then said he'd risen from the dead. 
but they had it in hiding in a cellar somewhere. That doesn't make sense either. Because they went to some horrendous deaths for that lie, if that's what it was. Skinned alive, sawn in two, impaled, crucified upside down. One of them would have broken. Would you rob a grave and then willingly go to your own for that lie? Of course not. Of course not. Whole governments can't cover up conspiracies, can they? How long did Watergate last? It wasn't that long, really, was it? Someone breaks. Someone gives in. Give me freedom and my family and I'll show you where the body is. Someone would have broken. I wouldn't die for a lie. The disciples didn't steal the body. And then the only other argument people can come up with, ah, but they all hallucinated that he'd risen again. It's very rare for two people to share a hallucination. It's virtually impossible. Let alone more than that. There are over 500, over 500 recorded witnesses of Jesus walking around. But get this. So you're saying it was a hallucination and yet he cooked breakfast for them which they ate. Hallucinations can't cook breakfast that you can physically pick up and eat. It doesn't work. Either this is the most elaborate hoax ever and you can come up with the most convoluted argument against it or it's actually easier to accept it. Jesus rose from the dead. There was a guy called Frank Morrison. Born in 19th century, lived into early 20th century. He's a British journalist. And he thought, I'm going to have him. I'm going to prove him wrong. He used his journalistic skills to dig out all the evidence, all the records, all the archives, the culture at the time and how people related so he could understand the context of what these records said happened. And he was going to go out and prove once and for all this was a load of old rubbish and we can all move on. Do you know what he found? An empty tomb and a risen Christ. He became a believer. He wrote a book. Who Moved the Stone? Brilliant book. Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. I love the first chapter. It's called The Book That Refused to Be Written. He tried hard and he couldn't physically do it. And he ended up believing. It convinced him thoroughly. Frank Morrison, Who Moved the Stone? Read his story. It's brilliant. Jesus is alive. He is risen. It's real. It happened. God came. God conquered. Jesus rising from the dead validates everything he said, validates his promises, which declared him to be God, declared him to be saviour, and declared that anybody who believes in me will be saved. It happened, people. Seriously. We can't just sit on the fence with this. It can't be done. You see, in the Gospels, when they were speaking to the believers, the apostles wrote in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the beginning of the New Testament, they put in there the facts of the resurrection, the details. Because the believers wanted to know. We're interested in it, aren't we? 
that the, the, the linen clothes are folded up and that there are angels there and the guards have fallen asleep. We're interested, we're fascinated because it's about our Jesus. But get this, the next book, the book of Acts, is when you see the apostles preaching to non-believers. And when they're speaking to non-believers, they don't give any of the details. They go, he is risen, believe. Do you know why they don't give the details? Because the empty tomb and the eyewitnesses are a short walk away. They don't need to give any details. You don't believe us? Go and find out for yourselves. We are that confident it's true. Go and ask. Go and have a look. Speak to anybody you need to speak to. It's happened. Let's move on. Let's find out what's more important. The implications of it. They cut straight to the implications of the resurrection. Because it had happened. And that's just what I want. One more question I want to ask you this morning. What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? You can't just sit on the fence with the resurrection. Well, it might have happened. If it did happen, it's the most amazing, brilliant, marvellous, beautiful truth ever, and you want to run into it. And if it didn't, It's worth finding out, isn't it? Investigate it. This can't be left as truth on a page. Yeah, I believe that. Interesting. It can't. Do you understand the immensity of this? This is truth to run into and embrace. This is God, who while we were still sinners, loved us. And all before time began, before the earth was created... Father, Son and Holy Spirit were in perfect agreement that there was a rescue plan in place because they knew what would come, because they knew we would sin. They knew we would be selfish. We knew we would try to usurp God from his throne and decide things our way and think we know best. It's called sin. Father, Son and Holy Spirit in perfect agreement put the ultimate prison break in place already for the right moment, at the right place, the right time. God came walking around with a, clo- with a cloak of skin on as one of us, living the perfect life we cannot lead, and then dying on the cross. So he pays the price as the sacrificial lamb, shedding his blood. It's in the blood that is the life. He shed that blood. He died on that cross. For you, for me, that all our wrongdoing, all our selfishness, all the blackness in our hearts, and we all have that in different degrees and in different ways and in different places, we all have that. He dealt with that on the cross. Because you can't. But he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. It's a historical fact. On the Sunday morning, some 30-odd hours later, proving that it was a once-and-for-all sacrifice, It is an ultimate victory and anybody who believes these simple facts about him as God can be saved forever. Do you want eternal separation from God? That's what death means, separation. Do you want eternal separation from God or do you want eternal relationship with him? All you have to do is believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Please don't just walk away from this and think it was interesting. Please. I pray the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to this. I was speaking to a friend on Friday at work, on Thursday, sorry, he was asking me questions about the resurrection. And I gave her all of this. She went, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I believe it. Anyway, we put you our meal break soon, aren't we? We need the Holy Spirit. It's 
not just about argument, not just about debate, but please don't walk away from this without asking God. Ask, seek, knock. Ask and you will be fine. Ask and you will be <laughs> given. Seek and you will find. Just knock on that door. If he's not real, there's no harm in trying. But if he is, you've got to run after this. Knock on that door. Speak to him. He said to his friend Martha in John chapter 11, verse 25, said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is even before it all happened. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm here. And he is here by his Holy Spirit right now. Don't put it off. Speak to him. If you're a Christian, don't think this was really interesting for the non-believers. Saturday Christian, stuck in the doldrums, wondering what's the point about life, and I haven't got the house I want, or I haven't got the wage I want, or I haven't got the job I want, or I haven't got the family I want. Look to Jesus. He's alive. You've already put your trust in him once. Keep running into him. Keep on running to him. Don't stay on Saturday. Be an Easter Sunday Christian, reveling in the fact that he died and rose again for you. And if you're not a believer, please don't walk away from this thinking it was an interesting talk. If you disagree with me and want to come and talk to me, please do. But don't treat it with indifference is all I ask. We're going to sing a song to end in a sec. Ivan's going to lead us in a song. But I just want to remind you of this one question from the angel. Where are you looking for the living? Are you looking among the dead? Where you're looking, is it a dead place? Are you looking to the living God who came to this planet, conquered sin and death and rose again that you might live? Let me just pray and then we'll partay. Jesus, thank you that we can speak to you. We don't get to pray about you. We get to speak with you because you are alive, because you are risen You have ascended on high to the Father's right hand, reigning in heaven as King of kings, Lord of lords. And we can rest in that. We can rest in the fact that our faith isn't just, I know it because I know it. It's also grounded in historical fact and evidence that this scientific age demands. It still stands. But thank you that it's more than just evidence. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you drop away the veil in our hearts that we might see you, that we might know you, that we might revel in you, that we can party in the fact that you rose again. Jesus, we thank you. And as we sing this song, may you open our eyes yet more to what we need of you. Lord, where necessary... Make us sense our own self lower and you higher. Recognise the blackness in our hearts that only you can conquer. It's not about us, but it's about you. If there's anybody here who has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, please can I urge you, even right now, I'm going to pray a simple prayer in a minute, actually. And all it is is recognising that you are just a person who is imperfect, who is sinful, 
and to receive eternal life, all you need to do is recognize Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Son of God who came for you, who died in your place. And it's saying, I'm sorry for what I am. I'm sorry for what I'm like. I'm sorry for the things I love and I know I shouldn't. But I want to trust in you. May you take the steering wheel of my life and be my captain. I'm going to pray that. You can pray it in your heart and come and find me after. Lord Jesus, I recognise that you are God. I recognise that you are real. I recognise that I am not. And I recognise that you are the only answer. I'm sorry for the things I've done. Sorry for the things I do and sorry for the things I want to do, but I need your help. I can't save me, only you can. So please come into my heart. Reside in my life. Sweep my life up into yours. That I might live. I declare you as God. I declare you as risen King. And I ask that you might come and change me. I might become more like you and live with you forever. Able to stand before the living God, unhindered, but because of your work on the cross and in your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's sing a song. How are we doing? That's all right. I can always run to the...